0: Hey hey it's the productized podcast. My name is Brian Castle. Thanks for tuning in as always. I really appreciate it. Today you're going to hear my conversation with Leana Patch. She is a copywriter who is focused on merging humor, you know, comedy with writing sales copy, and she focuses on working with SaaS companies and e-commerce companies. This was a really good one. I first heard about Leanna from hearing her recently last week over at MicroConf in Vegas. She gave a really great talk about using humor in copywriting, which I found fascinating. I've also just found it fascinating when people take kind of a creative skill like being a stand-up comedian and merging that in with a freelance career or a productized service career, if you will, in some sort of marketing service like copywriting. And so she's done a really great job of that. And we talked all about just uh, some tips and strategies for using both research and data-driven insights, but also just using humor and a personal touch to write copy that resonates more with your target customers. We talked all about that. We talked about her journey of merging her her stand-up and sketch comedy work into her work as a copywriter. And we talked about how she has productized her consulting and how she's packaged up different levels of her service and all sorts of things. So yeah, this was a really good one. I think you're going to really enjoy it. Before we get into it, I want to remind you that if you know of someone who has a really interesting story or an interesting angle that you think would make for a great episode here on the Productized Podcast, you want to hear me get into it with them, I would really appreciate if you suggest them and tell me what you think is interesting about this person or this topic. Head over to productizepodcast.com slash suggest and my producer and I will take a look and if we think that they would be a good fit and that it is a unique, interesting, insightful, potential episode, then we will invite them on for an interview. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Liana Patch. Enjoy. All right, I'm here with Leanna Patch from Punchline Copy. Leanna, how's it going?
1: It's so good, Brian. How are you?
0: Good, yeah. Thanks for coming on. And so I just saw you last week at Microcomp, speaking at, at Microcomp. I thought it was a really great talk that you gave. One of the more unique talks that I've seen is just a really fresh take on copywriting tips and tactics and incorporating comedy. So we're definitely going to, you know, dive into that a bit today. And after hearing you speak, I thought I, you know, I got a get your story and hear from you on the podcast. So yeah, thanks for doing it.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: Great. So, you know, before we kind of dive back into your story and everything, why don't you tell us kind of what you're focused on these days?
1: So I mostly work with SaaS businesses and e-commerce stores. And my goal is basically to work with anyone that either already has kind of a funny or weird brand or is willing to try that. Ideally, somebody who wants to test that approach in their copy. So anywhere from very forward-facing copy, like the website or landing pages to internal stuff like in-app copy and emails, I think there are, there are ways to roll it out in like a targeted test fashion and also just to do whole rebrands. So I'm game for any and all of it.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you're just a really effective copywriter, but of course you really incorporate this, just like, you know, a comedian sensibility to it. And I mean, if you read any of your work, it, it's hilarious. Oh, thanks. <laughs> But, you know, I I feel like web copy today, especially for products like SaaS and like apps and things like it's becoming so much more, you know, like lighthearted and funny and personal. And it's not like copy isn't what it used to be, really, especially on the web.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the way that we communicate with each other has changed. The way that we communicate on the Internet is definitely different than it used to be. I kind of get turned off by super formal emails now because they don't feel like they know who I am. So I think there's we're seeing that shift toward more personable, more casual copy um and it feels more honest on the part of a brand.
0: Yeah, totally. So I think, you know, maybe later we'll get into some some actionable tactics that we could take away, things that we could literally use in our copy, but you know, part of the reason I wanted to invite you on is kind of get your story. I mean, mm-hmm. as as a fan of, you know, copywriting and marketing, I'm equally a fan of comedy, and I just think it's fascinating how you've kind of merged the two in, into this career. So, why don't we like go back like where did you start out?
1: Um, so Think there there was a confluence of things that happened. I think it was 2011. I went to a stand up open mic and I was like, hey, I feel like I could do that at least better than some of the people. And that's like my natural competitiveness thinking like, I could probably do that a little better than <laughs> and at least this person or whatever. It's most
0: of us on the internet, that's our whole career. It's like, yeah, I could do it better than.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I went back, I think it was the next week. I like wrote a three minute set and I went back And then I kept going back for a few weeks. And I at first thought that the idea was to write a whole new set every week. And I was like, this is so exhausting. How do people do it? And then somebody was like, you don't do that. You just practice the same bits.
0: You just use the same material.
1: Yeah. Until you have new ones. And I was like, that makes more sense.
0: (laughs) So you're in New Orleans now. Was that in New Orleans?
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's actually a really big, awesome comedy scene here. There's a stand-up show or mic almost every night of the week.
0: Really? Yeah. I mean, I always think of New Orleans as like music and comedy. I think about New York City and like L.A. and other places. But yeah, I didn't know New Orleans was.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a great spot. We actually have a lot of well-known comics that come down here to do mics and like try out new material. And there will be like a sort of ripple like underground You're like, hey, hey, Hannibal Burris is going to be at this show right. tonight. Yeah. Um, so that's fun. That was a fun thing that happened once. He showed up really drunk at a mic that I was at and I actually went up right before him. And I had been planning to try out a bunch of new material and I was like, nope, I'm <laughs> cutting it down to two minutes of stuff that's made people laugh before.
0: Yeah, I'm always fascinated with comedians. I mean, I'm just a fan of it, but I'm, I'm really like into the whole craft of being a comedian because it just looks so hard. I feel like people don't realize how hard that must be to get up on stage. Because I have a hard time just talking at like talks at business conferences to have to make people laugh and like, and memorize all these jokes and do all that. I mean, that's got to be insane.
1: I think you get past it. And it's kind of like a, a brute force approach. Like the more you do it, the more inured you get to it. And I, I wouldn't even really call myself a stand-up because I know so many people that are out there every night working on jokes and it's a huge time commitment. And I don't have the time for that running my businesses. So I get out there when I can, but I don't like to put myself on the same level with them. Yeah, it's a it's a lot of hard work.
0: So stand up was your first entry into it? Like you weren't getting into like improv or anything like that?
1: That came later. So I was uh, I was writing for a local magazine and I had an arts column and I got to pretty much pick whoever I wanted to profile in the arts column. Uh, and I heard about a comedy theater and I reached out to them and I talked to them and they just said, "Hey, why don't you come try a class after this?" And I did. And then I ended up going through like all five levels of their improv training and graduating. And actually, you can see in the video, I know this won't be a video, but you can see my diploma. Yeah, there's
0: like a diploma there. Cool.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was so fun. And that was where I started making those connections between improv and copywriting, because there's a lot of stuff that works on the same level, like the rule of three. You know, humans think in threes. Uh, We tend to look for things in sets of threes, and that works in comedy, and it works in copy. And I was like, what other parallels are there?
0: That's interesting. I mean... Between stand-up, like written prepared material that you work on over time, I feel like that's more similar to like writing sales copywriting than improv, which is improvisation, right? Like, um, Yeah. Especially like with jokes and like you try something out, you work on it, you improve it over time, like same thing with the sales page, right? Mm -hmm. Like I guess, uh, well, kind of sticking with your story a little bit, um, where'd you go from there? You're doing open mics, you did this class in improv, like how did that... What was your next step in terms of like actually starting to make money at this and and make this a thing?
1: So I had been running my business for a while and I was not happy with it. I looked at my clients and I was doing like mostly publications work and a lot of editing.
0: Okay, so you you actually started as a copywriter first before you got into comedy at all?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'd been doing it for a while, but I'd seen my copywriting focused business turn into kind of like an editing business, and I hated that and I didn't like the work I was doing. So I took an agency job. About three weeks into that, I was like, "This was a terrible idea." And Joanna Weeb of Copy Hackers and Air Story opened her first mastermind, and I reached out to her and I was like, "I don't know. I think I should do it, but I'm not sure. I just took this full time job." And she wrote classic Joanna, the most persuasive email that she could possibly have written, <laughs> right. which was, "I can't tell you what to do, but I can tell you it will be more expensive next time." And I was like, "Great, uh-huh. I'm in." <laughs> and that was where you know we we had calls with her. Everybody in the mastermind had a call with her. Um, we were talking about niching down. And she just asked me, like, what do you love to do? Uh, what are your favorite things? Like, how can you combine that with your career? And I was like, Well, I really have been enjoying doing improv, starting to write sketch, I'm still doing stand-up here and there. And she was like, Well, why not niche into humor copy? And I was like, wait, am I allowed to do something that's fun <laughs> for work? Right. <laughs> wait. <laughs> and uh, and that's when I rebranded, I think it was April 2016, I rebranded to Punchline Copy.
0: That's awesome. Were you, even before that, like, were you working kind of comedy into any of your writing before that?
1: I had one, one gig that I loved. Uh, It was so weird. It was called Fashion Friday. And I would basically just go on Etsy and find things that I either liked or really didn't like. And either way, I'd make fun of them uh, (laughs) and publish them on a client's site. And that was where I, like, it never felt like work. It got the most traction and the most comments out of anything that I was doing. And that was where I was like, wait, maybe I could do more stuff like this.
0: That's awesome. So I mean, like outside of copywriting and client work, were you or, or do you still like get like work as a professional comedian?
1: Oh, uh, not really. Um, I would never say I've been a professional comedian. I've done a couple book shows. There's a, a pretty cool ecosystem of comedy in, in New Orleans, like I was saying, where, you know, who's reliable and you know, whose jokes are going to hit pretty much. And so I've been lucky to be asked on a few local shows. I, I think the most I've ever made from comedy itself was like 25 bucks <laughs> for <a> show
0: <laughs> but i mean most comedians out there who probably consider themselves to be professional comedians they're probably making about the same
1: yeah <laughs> it's tough so I, i'm lucky in that i get to consider it a hobby that informs my work and a way to be a practitioner so i can you know stay fresh and like have the experience of being on stage regularly which makes me a better comedy copywriter a better copywriter in general and a better speaker
0: yeah i mean i think that's great i mean how many comedians musicians you know, artists out there are just, they're hustling to do the the open mics and the, you know, getting paid nothing. And during the day, they're waiters or they're doing some, they're in a cubicle or something. And you, you're yeah. actually taking that skill of comedy and actually applying it to your paid work, right?
1: Yeah, that's that's the goal anyway. <laughs> it's
0: awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, um, before I got into web stuff, I was really into music and production and like composing music for TV and film and stuff. I was, I thought I was going to do a career in that. And this was like just a few years before the iPhone came out was when I was like going through college and all that and and then you know out of college, all just unpaid internships at studios, like nothing. there's really no path to go start making money at this and then I kind of pivoted and became a web designer, got into products and stuff. but like now, like I hire audio editors for my podcast and stuff, and I'm just like, oh, if I was in that game now, there are so many different opportunities where you can take this like creative skill or creative technical skill. And apply it to web stuff like podcasts or YouTube shows or anything. And, and it's like exactly what you're doing here with like comedy and like, you know, and it's a perfect merger of, of the sales, copywriting and, and everything. So,
1: yeah. And one of the things that I in that sort of vein, one of the things that I'm trying to do is systematize the approach to figuring out a client's humor style. Um, so I'm creating tools like humor quizzes um, and I have some interview questions that I usually ask to get a sense of the right style of humor for a brand. And uh, on the nerdier side, like I love reading about humor, especially the psychology of it and like what functions it plays in the brain. So I'm trying to figure out a way to make it more systematic and more scientific and thus more predictable in its results. So testing is great, but I don't want to just throw spaghetti. I want to be able to say, okay, based on what you've told me about your brand, based on what you've told me about your audience, I think this approach is going to work well. I think these are the jokes that make sense with that approach. And I think here's where we should deploy them.
0: Yeah, I like that. I mean, it's, I hate these things that I hear like, oh, if you always use a yellow button, then it's always going to work on your sales page or whatever. And I, I hate that stuff. Cause it's like, first of all, it doesn't always work. It totally depends on the audience, depends on, on your site, your brand and all this stuff. And so, you know, you can't do the same thing with comedy. Like if you use literally the same joke every time it will always sell your product. I mean, that just won't work. But I guess if you're really matching it to their preference.
1: Yeah. And being very careful about what you test and changing only one variable and things like that. I think there's a huge, there's awareness in the conversion optimization community that tactics and hacks are kind of played out like you're saying like yellow buttons convert better no not necessarily it's always going to depend um contrast works you know that's the thought behind the yellow button or the red button or whatever color you want to choose yeah so getting back to the methodologies and the psychology behind tactics instead of just saying like apply this quick fix and see what happens
0: so what are some of those things that you try to in your research you, you try to get from the client when you're like starting out with a project
1: I, so I do quantitative and qualitative research, um, quantitative being, you know, give me access to your analytics. I'll go through and see where, like how people are getting to your site, where they're falling off and then look at those pages and see like heuristically what might be wrong with this page. Oh, there's a link that's broken in this browser. Uh, and sometimes I ask them to do this kind of stuff because I'm not a super techie analytics person. So I'll say, you know, go through your, your data and tell me, Um, what you see, give you the big takeaways, or I'll ask a colleague. But that's a good place to see where problems are happening. And then we have to figure out why. And that's where the qualitative research comes in, where you ask people, you know, one of the great questions that I know you heard at microconf that a lot of the conversion copywriters are using uh, is what was going on in your life that brought you here, or it brought you to try to solve this problem. So it really gives you a sense of people's awareness of their own problems, whether they even know they have one, whether they are now looking for a solution, whether they're considering your solution specifically by name, how ready they are to buy, how much information they need. So I, I like to dig down into all of that stuff. Um, if they've run surveys with people, I just say like, pile the data on me. And some clients are like, uh, we have so much, I don't want to give it all to you. And I'm like, no, it's fine. Uh, I'll go through your survey response. Yeah, more the better. Yeah, exactly because that's where you see those patterns come through. And you see interesting sticky phrases that you can just pull out and use verbatim in the copy.
0: And I think that's just the the one bit you you said there about like, what was going on in your life at the moment that you decided to go look for this product or look for a solution? Because, you know, so many of us as we do this, like product research or market research, yeah, you know, generally what problem you're trying to solve, but like, why does the customer get to a point where they believe that problem is urgent enough for them to actually go take action, because so many people have that problem, they just let it sit for, for a year, you know?
1: Yeah, something becomes emergent about it. And they're like, I just can't stand this anymore. Or, I'm so frustrated by x. And then you get the super emotion based copy, and you can play right into that. And it's not, it's not like a, you know, it's not using them, um, but it's meeting them where they are and making sure they know that you're right for them.
0: Yeah. So when you start working with a new client or a new project, like how do you start to approach like, all right, well, what is the comedic style? How are we going to, you know, resonate with the customer and make them, make them laugh, but also make them feel like, yeah, that's for me.
1: Yeah. Well, a lot of the time people come to me and they say, I really like your style in particular, which is kind of like wacky and goofy and self-deprecating and absurd. So that's a good baseline for me to start from. Uh, If they have other ideas about humor, I'll send them that quiz that I mentioned where I ask them, you know, what shows are funny? um, What books do you think are the funniest? Stand up comedians, cartoons, comics, things like that. Uh, And that gives me a sense of what's relevant to them. We'll do the same for their audience if they have a, a big enough list or a big enough pool of audience that they're willing to let me access and then see what what the overlap is. So I I talked about this in my talk at MicroConf, but basically um, seeing where patterns emerge in user research and in the client's research and wherever those overlap is where I want to make jokes. And when I'm making jokes on a page or in a piece of copy, no matter where it is, I never want to sacrifice the message of the copy itself. I don't want jokes to get in the way. This is true of all copywriting. You don't want to distract from your point. Um, So I have to be a ruthless self-editor going through after I write, And so usually when I'm writing something, I'll sketch out the messaging hierarchy and say, here's what the readers need to see. And then I say to myself, where do we need some levity? Where do I want to give people a break? Where do I want to make them laugh or keep them interested or alleviate anxiety? And that's where I'll go in and put a little joke or an aside or things like that.
0: Yeah. One of the little notes that I jotted down when you were speaking was, you know, don't try to crack a joke in the top headline on the homepage. You know, just get to the point there and talk about like what it is or keep their attention. And most of the jokes should land in the in the body copy and in the smaller text, right?
1: Yeah, for most people, I would say putting a joke in your value proposition is a little bit risky because it's already so many people already have trouble with their value prop that muddying it up with humor is probably not a, a good risk to take. But that said there was a client that I mentioned in the talk also that does stormwater compliance. And we have kind of a joke in their headline at the top of their homepage um, that says painless stormwater compliance parentheses. Yeah, we said it, right? Because it joins the conversation <laughs> in the user's head where they're like, I've heard this before painless, I'm sure it's terrible. And then it's like, no, it really is.
0: Right? Yeah. And it's like, it's not the funniest like product material to work with. And you know, you're kind of setting the tone like, yeah, this is kind of worth reading. It'll be worth your time.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's not a knock knock joke either. It's not like just a joke for being a joke. It's still persuasive.
0: Right. And I I think like when I see a page and there are these like little like micro copy jokes or jokes in the body copy, like once I see the first one, I'm like, oh, this is funny. And then I start to like try to seek them out. Like the rest of that, that's what really pulls me in to read every word rather than just skim through the headlines, you know?
1: I love that. I had somebody, um, a total stranger from my email list reach out to me uh, and he was like, I love your stuff. I'm going to send you something in the mail. Go check out my site. And I looked at his site and he had all these uh, little Easter eggs and he's a fashion designer in France. So not the place that I would expect to find humor, but I can't remember if you click on the footer of his site, it says like, you found me, here's a 15% off coupon or something like that. And it's just, it's delightful. It's like, where can we make people happy and surprise them?
0: Yeah. So like when you start working with a new client and their stuff up until this point has been like super dry, you know, run of the mill, where do you even start with that? Like, I mean, I guess we've talked about it a bit already, but like, how do you go from, okay, they've had this completely different personality before to, okay, now there's this new voice, you know, lighter, funnier, like, how do you kind of make that transition? Like, do you just kind of like launch it and test it? And, and also how, like, how do you get the client on board for that kind of thing?
1: Well, hopefully the client has come to me because they're already, you know, aiming to do that. I don't have to persuade them, but I think it's it's generally good practice to dip the toe first, um, especially if they've been at it for a while and their audience is used to their current voice. It might be nice to just send a heads up email to their list saying, hey, we're going to start trying something. Uh, we really want you to let us know how it sits with you. And that's what we did with the Stormwater client after sending some of the newer emails where we... They'd always been kind of quirky and funny in their emails, but they needed a little help shaping the humor and making it easier to read the emails in general. So we sent out an email to their list saying, you know, how do you like the new style? Is it funny or do you prefer it the old way? And like 94% of respondents said, we like the new style. Keep going. So I think it's best to start cautiously. It's best to be open about what you're doing unless you're just doing a total rebrand and you know that your customers and your current customers are not going to be a good fit for you going forward and you're willing to lose. Summed all of them, which I don't think most companies want to do.
0: Right. So, what's like a typical project for you? Is it like rewriting the copy on on a marketing website? Is it writing their email sequences? Kind of all of the above, like blog content. Like, what are you kind of focused on?
1: So, I've actually moved away from writing content recently and just focusing on copy. So, I do a lot of website copy for SaaS businesses. I do landing pages for software. I do e-commerce product descriptions. Some of my favorite things to do because. Obviously, people are tracking conversions on those pages. And I'll go through and say, you know, here's the new copy. And also here are some suggestions I would make from the UX side of things uh, and they'll implement those. And recently saw some really awesome results doing that for a client. I also love writing emails because it's it's a place where we're seeing more and more people get the memo that plain text, personal emails perform a lot better across many industries than like very designy impersonal emails but we're still not seeing enough people go for a voice in their emails.
0: Yeah. Just writing my own stuff. I, I find that I really stress myself out over the copy that I use on my site. And I'm constantly going back and trying to improve it. And I don't take nearly as many risks from trying to crack jokes or, or just be more myself or put personality into it. But in my emails, even if I'm sending it to like, you know, tens of thousands of people, it's like, I'm much more willing to just try whatever and throw it in there. Like it doesn't, I think part of it it might just be like I'm sending it once, like one and done. Even if it's a reusable email, it's like, I don't know, something about it being published on the website is pretty scary to take risks and stuff.
1: Yeah, well, email is further down your funnel, right? So
0: yeah, people are already subscribed, so
1: they know you, they've already sort of bought in. I think that's that's sort of how most people tend to go is be a little bit more formal and they're very forward facing, very public copy and then reward users or subscribers once they get a little further in
0: yeah and it's also it seems like a more personal experience like you're in the inbox you're getting an email from a person you know yeah even if i'm writing on behalf of my company or or we write on behalf of our clients like we still sign it off like hey you know it's from sarah at audience ops or whatever like it's yeah there's that like personal connection but it's like you want to use a personal voice
1: yeah for sure and I, I would love to see more people taking risks on their website copy. But, you know, that's my mission. I'm just one person.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's like it works, especially once you have a really good idea of who your best ideal customer is. I, I guess, is that a challenge that you face when you're working with clients? Like somebody comes to you and they sell their product to everyone and it, yes. and it can apply in like a thousand different use cases. Like, how do you work with that? They're, they're like, I know we want to be funny. I really love your work do your thing with this? Like, How do you work with that?
1: We want to work with you. Our target market is women. And you're like, cool. (laughs) Awesome. Um, The first thing that I say is how can we segment? You know what segments make sense, both in your products or your services to divide people by uh, and in the types of humor that we might deploy. So for example, if you have a segment of older people, there might be a type of humor that works better for them. Whereas younger users are super into absurd nihilist memes because we spend all day on the internet and we, we see that stuff on Twitter all the time. <laughs> yeah. So segmenting if they haven't already is really important. And then, you know, creating different versions of the humor, different versions of the copy for each of those segments. Obviously not if you have like a thousand different segments, which you shouldn't, but you know, maybe like five user segments. And this the message is the same throughout because whatever we're selling or presenting is the same, but the framing and the humor is different in each. And then obviously doing some of that research and that feedback to see how things worked out, to see how people reacted.
0: Right, and the nice thing is that you can like A-B test stuff, you could yeah. target landing pages at certain segments, you know, you can have certain products that are for, for certain people, so. Yeah. Very cool. That's
1: one of the things that I want to do is, um, and I've done a little bit of it, but, you know, I've, I've had this open call for especially software companies that want to just A-B test a straight written version of the page, you know, I'll write it based on research, here's what the messaging is, here's the whole page, and then a version of that page that's exactly the same but with jokes and see what happens, sending the same type of traffic split both ways.
0: Yeah, I like it. Cool. So, like can you take me kind of like through the process of working with you as a as an outside consultant coming into a SaaS company working on the copy or improving the copy or writing the first version of the copy like I've always kind of tried to hack together my own sales copy for the things that I'm selling. I mean, I've hired out for like blog content, but the homepage and landing pages, I typically try to write myself, whether that's a good idea or a bad idea. Like I always feel like, because I, I feel like there are other founders in this situation, especially bootstrappers who are like, it's my product. I know it better than anyone. I know my customer better than anyone. I'm sure Liana is a great copywriter, but how can somebody else write for my thing? Like, how do you approach that? And I guess we again we've we've talked about a little bit, but like, what's the whole process of if somebody wants to try to hire an outside copywriter for the first time? Like, what can they expect in terms of handing that over?
1: Yeah, I think it should always come back to that research that we talked about. And that's not just a way to get to know the market, but also to get buy-in from you know, founders who may have trouble letting go. And it's not just like, hey, I'm going to disregard everything you know about this product you built for these people, but it's tell me what you know and what you think you know, and we'll see how that matches up with your actual users and what they say and what they need to hear. Um, So once you have that data, you can come back to them and say like, hey, you know, you were right on target or you were almost on target, but here's one thing that we missed and here's why I'm going to change this or put this on the page. So that's it always comes back to that. And the thing that I really like about starting with the research is that It helps me just completely structure a page, knowing um, people's level of awareness, where they're coming from, how they phrase their problem tells me, oh, this message came up the most by far in all of the research. So we need to put that like right away on the page, first thing at the top, and then we'll supplement with these other messages down the page. And then it becomes sort of an issue of informational architecture instead of like free flow writing.
0: So... When does do you start to kind of interface with the designer or the person working on the website? Like, do you give them the copy first and then they design the page around that or they already have a design, you fit your words into the page? Like, how does that usually play out?
1: So when I'm doing one of these, like from scratch landing page projects that starts with research, the first thing I do after that messaging hierarchy is made is I'll draft the page in Google Docs, and I'll send it to the client and say, here's a structure You know, tell me if anything stands out to you. Are we missing anything in your view? And that kind of thing. And once they give the go ahead or they make any minor revisions, I'll put the copy in a balsamic wireframe. So I'm not a designer, but I am a a visual person and design needs to support copy and vice versa. Yeah. So I say copy first, then design, but they have to play so well together. Um, And if the client has a designer and they they opt out of having the wireframe, I will work one-on-one with the designer and say, hey, you know, actually, this piece of body copy is a little more important. Can we emphasize it on the page, either by making the the font bigger, or putting a highlight around it, a call out, whatever you need to do, Together, um, So it it all needs to play nice. Uh, and then once the design is final, I'll take a look at it and say like, okay, it's it's rendering well on like across mobile and desktop and different browsers.
0: Yeah, I like that tip of using um, Balsamic. That, that's exactly how I've used it. Yeah. In almost every site that I've done, I... I do usually start in Balsamic and I write the first version of the copy right there in Balsamic usually. Nice. You know, I I know a lot of people use like they're in Ipsum and like, oh yeah, I'll fill it in with real copy later. But yeah, like getting the words, at least a a direction on the words, like totally dictates where the design is going to go.
1: Yeah. I think that's the danger of people who start with just templated pages for whatever they're building. They're like, oh, I need copy here, here and here because that's how the page is built. That's not necessarily what your research is going to say.
0: Right. So where does it go from there when you're working with a client? Like so you get the copy together, the designs are all merged in, the, the site is getting launched. How far does your engagement then go? Like, do you work with them ongoing to kind of test and look at analytics and make tweaks and, and things?
1: It depends by client. Some people come back and they say, oh, here's how it's doing. I always check in uh, A to make sure it launched, because as we know, sometimes projects don't go live on schedule. I would venture to say almost always, yep. <laughs> and B to see if there's anything that they need help with, um, and then I'll take a look at the copy once it does go live and see like, hmm, did they change anything before you know it went up, and why didn't they feel comfortable reaching out if they if they did change anything? Usually that doesn't happen, but sometimes people get cold feet about a joke here and there, or they say, can we have an alternative headline to test in this section? Um, and so usually it's pretty minor after you know launching or after the final draft
0: very cool so i mean i know that there are a lot of you know consultants out there a lot of copywriters in this audience too um a lot of people interested in like productized services and different things so like i'm kind of curious how are you finding most of your clients these days i mean obviously you're out there you're speaking you're like doing you're on different podcasts and articles and things like that but like what are the kinds of things that you're doing to make sure that you're getting really great SaaS companies and and e-commerce companies coming to find you
1: boy that's a great question uh (laughs) I have things that I should be doing more of. I've been lucky that most of my clients are finding me through word of mouth, and I think these days actually they're googling funny copywriter and I come up first. Oh, that's great. Which is awesome. Yeah, I just found that out. Uh, that was exciting. <laughs> so they know what they're getting and they know what they're looking for. I should, you know, I should be doing more self-promo, but when somebody comes to my inbox, I'm just like, you know, I have a little form that tells me if we're a good fit, if we are, I schedule a call, if the vibe is good, then I proceed with either a proposal or recommending one of my productized services. And I keep adding to that library because I just, I want to make it really easy for the right people to find and work with me.
0: Yeah, just say like, that's the thing that I need or want. And yeah, easy.
1: Yeah, it's so nice to be able to point them like, oh, you have a landing page that you want to test humor on and it's already written. Uh, Here, I have a service for that you know, you need a brand new email for your abandoned cart sequence. Here, I have a service for that.
0: So you have all your productized services kind of laid out here on your website, but like, what can you give us like kind of like the lineup as it stands today? Obviously, these things change. But you know, we're recording here in in May 2018. But yeah, what can kind of people expect when they're working with you?
1: So I've I've just had a lot of fun with this. Um, I have a business coach, and we were talking about my service lineup and making sure there's something at sort of every level to get started working with me. Uh, And they're all branded with boxing terms because my business is punchline and there's a lot of punching going on yeah. <laughs> so the the lowest level service i have is the jab and that's an email copy punch up that's where you have an email probably in an uh, automation sequence and you're not seeing the results you want from it you're not seeing enough click-throughs you're not seeing enough opens whatever metric you're measuring um, so you can buy that and i'll look at your email and make it better and ask you some questions about you know your audience before i do that I have the same service for landing pages. So you have copy, I punch it up. I have a brand new email a la carte uh, that's called the roundhouse. So this is a, (laughs) it goes jab, which is an email punch up, roundhouse, which is a brand new email, uppercut, which is a landing page punch up. And I just added something called the haymaker, which is an hour long live copy and consulting call because I was hearing people say, I just wanna buy you know your brain for an hour, and I was like, I want to make that easy for you. So I'll do research beforehand. And there's a process before we get on the call so that I'm not just like asking questions you could that I could have found on the internet. And I say that because I hired somebody to do the same thing for my business and was super disappointed with the call itself and the total lack of follow-up. And I decided I never want to make anybody feel like that. And then finally goes all the way up to buy my day, which I'm calling the main event. And that's been awesome. I just have an hour-long call, a 30-minute to an hour-long call with the client in the morning. Uh, we hash out what's going to be on the to-do list for the day. We've already been talking about it. Uh, and then I get to work. And sometimes I'm in their Slack channel and we're live editing. Sometimes we just get back together at the end of the day and I say, here's what I have, let's go through it. And it's it's been super valuable for people to just get their copy needs done that day. And
0: you literally know like what day on the calendar, this thing is going to be done.
1: Exactly. So, yeah. It's been awesome.
0: I like it. I've seen this sort of model work really well for a lot of like solo productized consultants, you know, especially the buy my day idea or, or buy like a two day thing, you know,
1: yeah,
0: it's nice because it's really predictable for you. you. You know, like these days out of the calendar are booked. I know I'm making that income for the month. And do these things ever like kind of lead into longer term engagements or retainers or anything like that?
1: Yeah. So I just rolled out by my day a couple months ago. And I think there are one or two people who would be good retainer candidates. And I only want to work with one client on retainer at a time. And I know how that structure would look for me It would be like one day a week, every week, an ongoing engagement, like three months minimum. So I, I want to be super, super selective about who I take on for that. And I'm sure they do too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Very cool. Awesome. Well, you know, before we wrap up, like, are there any kind of like low hanging fruit that if you're running like a SaaS site or a productized service site, or, you know, just to look over your copy, like common things that like kind of your first go to low hanging fruit, things that you look to improve anything that you can share with with the audience?
1: Yes. And it may not be the most original thing, but it's still so pervasive. Across all copy assets, look for the use of the word we versus you. So the tendency is to say, we built this cool thing, and we think it's so great, and our features are these, when in fact, it should say, you can solve your problem using these features and things like that. And it's, it's such an easy flip to make, and it, it makes all the difference um, to a reader. It's a good one. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, the site is punchlinecopy.com. Uh, it's just interesting to go read through your site there. And yeah, oh, it's, it's really well done. <laughs> Obviously entertaining, but it's informative. So yeah, definitely check that out. Where else can people uh, connect with you?
1: Um. So, my other business is called Snap Copy. It's another productized copy agency. We actually, my partner and I took it over from Joanna Weave and Lance uh, Jones back in the day. But it's a credit based copy optimization agency. And that's, I do some work over there too.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're not finishing the interview, the interview Okay. Yet. Okay. <laughs> All right. I got to hear. I, you know what? I saw this earlier and I forgot to bring it up here. So, yeah, tell me about Snap Copy. I mean, so this was, I actually remember this one when, when Joanna was launching this. Yeah. I didn't realize that you took it over.
1: Yeah, we did. Um, James E. Turner and I, that's my business partner. Um, we've been running it, I want to say, for a year and a half, two years. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So, you know, Joanna saw this need early on for companies that needed copy with a quick turnaround. They needed conversion copy from a trained professional who wasn't just like a, a branding copywriter on Upwork, um, but they didn't have the time to engage somebody long-term and go back and forth with someone who's probably booked up for a couple months as a lot of good copywriters are. Um, so she and Lance put the model together and it, you buy credits and packages and you can redeem credits for services. So it's very transparent. There's a how to use credits kind of price list where you can see what you can get. Yeah. And we've had, we've had a lot of uh, fun and success with people coming to us and saying, you know, Hey, I have this landing page. I have this opt-in and I have a series of emails. Should I buy you know, 15 credits and how many would that be? And we just confirm for them, yep, we can do this. Here's the turnaround. Uh, you'll get it much faster than you would otherwise. Uh, and part of the reason it works so well is because we don't offer revisions. So it's kind of like you buy a thing, we give you your copy, you test it. And if you don't get the results you were hoping for, then we'll talk about revisions. But we've never had anybody come back and say, I'm unsatisfied. Interesting. Everyone's been really enthusiastic. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so the credit system is definitely pretty interesting. It's all laid out on on the site, snapcopy.co. But so I'm curious, like what is your role in running this thing? Like are you are you doing any of the of the copy work? Are you like hiring other copywriters? Or yeah, where where's that plan?
1: Yeah, all of the above. Um, so the business kind of ebbs and flows. And when it's ebbing, James and I do a lot of the writing ourselves. When it's flowing, we have a network, just a handful of copywriters. A lot of them are actually in our original mastermind because that's where we met. I sometimes call Joanna my copy mom because I feel like (laughs) she introduced me to all of these people that I love and work with regularly. Very cool. Yeah. So it just depends.
0: Yeah. Because I, you know, I I just vaguely remember this site and and yeah, that's awesome that you guys have kept running with it. Yeah. Great. So, you know, I usually end these interviews just thinking about like what's next. So we're like halfway through 2018. What are you looking ahead to for the rest of this year, next year, things that you want to get into?
1: So I'm doing more speaking. I'm taking a version of that talk. Uh, that I gave at MicroConf around to a few different events. I'm really focusing on that systematizing project that we talked about, just making sure it's very clear, both in my mind and in potential clients' minds, how I approach humor. Um, Working on some case studies from the good results that I've already gotten, because I'm the cobbler without shoes when it comes to writing my own stuff. Uh, (laughs)
0: Yeah. That's something that I'm always behind on like I, I did a few case studies early on and i need to get more up there it's just been yeah too busy
1: a friend of mine actually has a productized case study copywriting business and it's called case study buddy there you go and so he's the one that i'll be turning to for mine yeah i just want uh i want more people to feel comfortable trying humor and trying a light-hearted approach and measuring how it does
0: yeah Love it. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for doing this, Liana. A lot of good stuff here. We'll, of course, get all of this stuff linked up in the show notes. Awesome. So, yeah, thanks for doing it.
1: Thanks so much for having me. This was super fun.
0: All right. Have a good one.
1: You too. All
0: right. Now, before we wrap up, let me ask you, what'd you think of this one? Was it good? You learned something? Are there any other topics you'd like to hear me cover on this pod? Well, let me know. No, I mean, really, like, let me know. Hit reply on any of the emails that I sent you. I'll read every single one. I try to reply to everyone. What's that? Oh, you're not on my list yet. Okay, well, head over to my site, productizepodcast.com. You can get on my email newsletter that way. I'll send you you know new episodes and all the show notes, but I'll also send you my newsletter where I share all sorts of articles and other insights on entrepreneurship, building products, productized services, software, SaaS, and other cool stuff there. So yeah, check that out over at productizepodcast.com. And of course, if you have a minute, I'd really appreciate if you could head over to iTunes, leave a five-star review, or at least just five stars. You don't even have to leave a review if you don't want to, but that would really go a long way to helping other folks like us find this podcast. So yeah, thanks a lot for tuning in. I'll talk to you on the next one.